Today on Sagittarian Matters, we have memoir comics, writing advice, and deep therapeutic moments unpacking the grief and effects of childhood abuse with graphic memoirist Emily Carrington. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the from the Sagittarian Matters Social Distancing Studios in Tahunga, California. Listeners, before I get going, I wanted to issue a content warning. Today's episode deals with abuse, and in particular, childhood sexual abuse. We're not going to be going into any kind of grisly details, but we are talking about these subjects in general. That's because I have the true pleasure of having cartoonist Emily Carrington on the show. Emily Carrington's debut graphic memoir, Our Little Secret, just came out with Drawn and Quarterly. They describe it as a testament to survival and to the importance of telling your story your way. The book details a time in Emily's life where she was sexually abused by a neighbor and family friend. As soon as I got this book, I lent it to as many cartoonists as I could, and they all loved it. And so I hope that you really like this interview with Emily. Emily's very wise, and to me, our conversation yielded a lot of interesting points about drawing comics, writing comics, healing, grief, and how to support survivors of abuse in your life. Now, please enjoy my talk with new friend to the show, graphic memoirist, Emily Carrington. I would describe the book as a journey that I went on to to get to get away from the effects of of what it, it it was something that had been weighing on me for years and years and and the book was a journey I took to to come to terms with it and to deal with it and and the book was the way I dealt with it if that makes sense yeah well can I ask cuz I I read an interview where you spoke about taking different healing paths Yes. Before you came to the book. So what paths did you take amongst the ones you feel like talking about? And then how did you come to this medium or this idea of like, you know, I'm going to spend a really long time (laughs) (laughs) drawing each of these experiences out? Well, um, I was I wasn't feeling very good about myself in my life and um, went into went into therapy for about a year and a half. And that was very helpful and very difficult and very helpful. And and very important. And um, it sort of took me partway there, but it, it was something that was that was weighing on me. Um, the the length of the lawsuit that I that I got into was taking so long that 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 I think was the part that felt the most crushing was that I, I was hoping that the lawsuit was going to bring me some closure. And it was taking years and years and I wasn't getting any. And it was a feeling of being slowly crushed by a giant weight and there was there didn't seem to be any way out of it um and i i tried to write poetry i tried to write um short uh, creative nonfiction, and that expressed some of my feelings about it but it still i still felt this weight and it was finally when i um took some courses at langara college in vancouver that um, after I became interested in comics again, and, and once 
it was a classroom exercise basically that I did. It was um, one of our term projects, which I think was 10 to 12 pages. Um, and I just started, I said, okay, I've been in this, these classes for a while. And I, I, um, I talked to the, the other students and I said, this is a hard topic. Are you okay with me doing this? And it was a small class and they all said, yes. So I sort of d delved into it in this, this short piece that ended up being the first 10 or 12 pages of the book and, um, just allowed, allowed myself to, to, free kind of free associate whatever came out and and i found that that was the way for me to let let the story out um it wasn't so much that i wrote the story is that i let the story out it was like i opened up a door and whatever came out i wrote it down that first story was about flies yes where um in the cabin where you lived with your yes. father and it yes it was so perfect. It felt like you were channeling for some, you know, for lack of a better word, because it felt like you really got the dialogue of your dad and the way you portray so many tiny details from that time in your life really fill out all the characters and it really fills everything out. And it feels your dad himself is. I just, I, you're, the way that you attributed dialogue to him, what, like the way he speaks is so yeah. particular and like yes. everybody in the book has such a particular voice. Yes. That is because first of all, that, you know, dad, dad, um, he, he passed away a couple of years ago, but he, he had a very particular way of talking and, and British and, and uh, waving his arms and ranting about this and that and he, very, very distinct. And also with Richard, who's the, the character of, um, who was who molested me, he had a particular way of talking too. And it's been, I don't know, I forget how many years now since it happened, like 35 or 40 or some ridiculously long time ago. But I kept diaries at the time. And so I I wrote and I really enjoyed writing. So I kept detailed diaries with exact words of what he said. So I was able to, to capture, to give him a different personality. I don't really remember a lot of, of exact details about everything he said. But when I go back to my diary and I wrote down word for word what he said, I, I transferred that as much as I could into the book, word for word. So when you read Richard's dialogue in the book, with very few exceptions, you were reading exactly what he said back in 1982. So that is going to, th that helps to capture um, him him as a personality in the book and other people in, in the book as well have distinct ways of talking. And um, and uh, I think that helped keep the, the characters very distinct and separate. It really, it really was effective. Good, also I'm really glad. I also felt like you were very fair to your father in a way, because there was this, this sense in the book. Um, so you're living in the country with your father and Richard is a neighbor and he turns out to be more and more helpful and kind of incorporating you into his life and giving yes. you work and giving you a place yep. to have a hot shower and, yep. and then taking advantage of his position. And we see, you know, as readers, we're like, oh, her dad's going to come in and protect her because that's part of his job. And he really just doesn't. 
Yes. But I, it feel, did you, I wonder how did you approach, because how long, I don't know how long this book took you to write, but I'm assuming you started writing it while your father was still alive. No, actually. Oh, I started writing it in. Um, no, I think he, he might've passed away by then. I'm not sure, but I wrote it very quickly. It, You're so it, fast at drawing. Well, it's because the story, I didn't have to write the story. It just yeah. came out. Yeah. And, and um, I used a fairly simple drawing style. If I'd had to color it, <laughs> it would be another five years or something. But, but it was partly the style and partly the fact that I never r- really wrote the story. It just, it just came out. Wow. But, but I, uh, you, oh, sorry. Your question was about my dad, right? Oh, yeah. I guess I wondered um, how, you approached, how you approached writing about your dad. And how you approach writing about the family around you that were still your family, but also didn't protect you when this thing was happening. Um, I sort of tried to approach the the book, the whole book, in the same way, like the, w- whether it was my family or not. So, what's lacking is child sexual abuse is never documented because it's always done in secret. So there are no videos of it, unless unless that's what they're into the you know making videos, but but in general there's not going to be a video of it. So what I was trying to make was a video of it. Now I I can't I can't do that because I don't have a time machine. But what I was trying to do is just document what happened. So I used the words of the time. I I would look up the the date and I'd find out whether it was snowing or not, and I'd put the snow in in one. One panel, I um, I looked up the phase of the moon, so I would draw the moon in its correct phase. So it was I was trying to make it a, a video. So d- dealing with my parents is is kind of the same. I was trying to step back a little bit and just just show what happened, and the everyone every part of it has good sides and bad sides. You know, if there's a, a piano teacher or 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 somebody in the church who molests a child. They need to be seen as a good person first in order to, to, to do that. They have to gain the trust. And um, the other thing is, is although my, my parents lacked what we might think of as normal parenting skills in reality, there's no doubt in my mind that they tried, that they, re- that they really did try. And there was just something wasn't quite right. But I, I do believe they really tried. Um, I think it's really fair of you to show the ways that they tried, because I also believe as somebody with imperfect, imperfect parentage that, you know, given my mom's resources, she mm-hmm. was doing her best, whether or not I agree with. Yes. Yes. I, I tell people that in, in general, I believe people do their best. It's sometimes people's best isn't really that great, <laughs> exactly. but it probably is their best. You know, it's unfortunate that I, that each of us got assigned to people who had those as their best. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Makes for good books though. It's just if you want to look at the silver lining. <laughs> well, I guess I wonder, and, and I don't know, per, as, as a memoirist, I don't know if I have a wonderful answer for this, but I wonder how you took care of yourself as you were going through this process of channeling or drawing this book. 
and kind of really immersing yourself in these almost photographic depictions of things? I didn't really. Um, because I, I had, I, I couldn't cling to anything. It's like, if you're going to swim across the ocean, you can't hold on to the shore at all. You know, you got to just go straight out into the ocean and hope you make it. it I tried to get a, a, a psychologist to help me get through it. And after four or five sessions, he tried to convince me to go into group therapy and not to write my book. So that was not what I wanted because I asked him, I said, look, I need someone to help me get, get through this book because I'm going to go into some really creepy, dark places and it's going to be difficult and I'm scared what might happen to me. So I never went back and I was, I was so kind of shocked at what had happened that I didn't try to find another, anybody else to help me. So I'd already started the book and it was like a, a, a process and I'd already let part of it out and I, I couldn't stop at that point. So I just literally locked myself, not really locked myself in, but but it happened to coincide with the start of the or some of the pandemic. So I I just basically stayed home and immersed myself in this world and and hoped that it turned out. And um it it, it did, but it was rough in a few spots. I'd have to say. Yeah. Um, I've told my friends before or, or students too, that like doing a book where I'm having to draw a traumatic thing and go into it feels a little bit like being Frodo and Lord of the Rings and like putting on the ring when like, it's just like screaming and wraiths and like, you're the only one who can see it. And then you come out of it and you're kind of shell shocked. Yes. Yes. How did you choose where to have Richard's face be kind of a scribbled blur and when to articulate his face? And also I felt very satisfied with how his face looked because he looked so unpleasant. And um, I just, I know it's really hard to draw people who are horrible to you. Yes. Um even though I was 15, so, you know, relatively old, it wasn't like I was five, I still was very intimidated by Richard, and I still felt like a child around him. And, and um, so when I, first, when I first drew the book, you notice the first part you were, you were talking about with the flies in it, that was the section I drew for the, for the class at Langara College. For that section, I didn't draw his face at all, because it was too difficult. It was, it just gave me, it was too creepy and too intense, I guess is the word is, and too uncomfortable. So um, I just scribbled over where his face would be. And it just became this scribbled blur, like I wanted to scrape it out almost with my pen. Um, later on, when I got further along in the book, I, I, I became able to, to draw, to draw his face. It took a long time. And um, when I, when I began to draw his face, I, would, I drew it partly as he looked and partly how he made me feel. So it doesn't look exactly like him, but what it does is it looks exactly like he looked to me at the time. Um, so when you're, when you're a kid, adults look very hairy. They look wrinkly and hairy and big and there's weird lines everywhere that kids don't have. So those are all the things that stood out for me. And the closer he got to me physically, the bigger and the creepier and scarier those, those things looked. So um, 
I tried to incorporate that in, into how I drew him. Now, as to later on in the book, when I was more able to to draw him without getting, you know, too creeped out, I don't, I don't know even the right word for it. Um, that was basically just how I felt at the time. I, I would I would go to draw something, and if I if um, if I felt like scribbling where his face was again. It might sound funny, but I didn't put a whole lot of thought into the book. I just allowed it to come out. And sometimes it came out like that with as, as uh, just scribbles with the pen. And, and sometimes it would come out as his actual face. And uh, for the most part, it stayed the same when I went to do the final copy. We have a listener question. We have two questions. One is from, and they may be linked and you may not have an answer for this because you may not have had to do this, but a, a, a listener on Instagram asks, what do major revisions look like in your process, especially if significant art is done? Did you have major revisions? Mm, not really. I, what I did was drew the whole thing out. Uh, um, I sketched it out on photocopy paper with a pencil because that was the way I, I could do it as I could do it as fast as I can and just let the story come out as quick as possible without wasting expensive materials. So that was the first step was the, the paper and the pencil. And then I would draw it out on 11 by 14 Bristol. Um, but I did the book in about 17 sections, which later the editor decided to, to put it down into fewer sections. But so it was in anywhere from five to 15 page section, sections. So each one of those sections, I would figure out how it was gonna be. And um, I had one of the actually, actually one of the, one of my instructors from Langara College who was also did some editing work, um, helped me with page design. So deciding which panels went where and what size they were and stuff. So by the time I went to do the final story, it was fairly, it was fairly, I was fairly sure where I wanted things. Um, after the drawn and quarterly um, uh, helped me with some editing, some final editing. And um, there were a few things they asked me to change. And in some cases, I would draw the page over, not very many pages, though. And in some cases, I bought a, I think it was a Huion Cam Canvas Pro 12 or something. So some little tablet. And I would scan in my pictures. If it was just some minor changes, I would scan in the, um, the page. And then I it was simple line work. So I would erase the line and I would draw a new line. And... Um, it, it wasn't too bad. It, it, there were a few weeks of revisions, but um, a lot of it was tidying up my lettering, which when, once I scanned it, I realized it was kind of messy. <laughs> so it wasn't that bad. I'm in my mid fifties now and trying something completely different and uh, no idea if it, if it was gonna appeal to people or uh, I just kind of hoping it would, hoping it would, I guess. It's really, it's so powerful and I know you know, through all, through all these things, um, there's so many moments of disempowerment for yes. your character and even just the waiting for your lawsuit against Richard mm -hmm. to come to fruition. 
I feel like even just you sitting down and like just needing a venue to tell this story out loud, I've, I've, it feels really powerful. And it feels like yeah. you, you did. I, I didn't know everything else I tried had failed is basically what it came down to. And this, this worked. So as a way to tell a story, but, but the reason I did it is because everything else I tried failed. And uh, this is all I had left. So. I feel so grateful and lucky that you did. Um, there's Thank a, you. you're welcome. So there's a, there's a part of the book where you're kind of laying out what happened in memories and there's a part of the book where you as an adult are able to really visually articulate, I don't know if it's, you know, your inner child or some inner version of yourself who's kind of stuck or like these souls of traumatized kids who are yes. stuck. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, it, uh, it's an image that, that came into my head. So I drew it. I know this is, I'm, this is probably going to be my answer to everything. That you That's asked. a good answer. That's true. But um, um, it's, it's, uh, it's literally just the images that came into my head as, as I was drawing and, and seeing, you know, you, I see it. It's like, it's like a movie that was playing out in front of me that I, that I drew. And I literally saw a cave full of these scrawny, miserable, you know, sunshine deprived golem like children in in um just sit, all sitting in a cave and and realizing that that i sort of had that that person like there was a the inner i guess you call it the inner child myself felt like they were stuck in a cave and and you know seeing that image i just felt like there are so and the thing is is i went i walked around for 25 or 30 years not even knowing it and i think my the reason I, I I use that image is there are people all over that that have the effects of child sexual abuse affecting their life every single day and they don't know it. They have this part of themselves that they've they've separated off and, and locked away to keep safe, you know. But but it it, it affects your life. It it um and you and you don't know it because you can't see it. And, and it, it isn't until I think until you see it with your own eyes that, that you that you believe it. And um, so I guess that was just feeling bad for all all the people that are living with the effects of child sexual abuse and, and not knowing it and uh, and how it drags you down and affects your life and takes away, you know, the things you could have accomplished and and the relationships you could have had and all the things it robs from you. And um, I guess that that's what I, I was thinking about those people and, and that part of them that they've walled off to protect. Today's episode is brought to you by Steph Choi, Shoshana Ruth Wechter, and Joey Soloway. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, in particular, producer Chris Sutton, Please send $5, $5 million, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. Or, this just in, he's got a Venmo, Hell Books. That's H-E, double hockey sticks, books. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it too. Don't be scared, that's just Ponyo's speaking voice.
You illustrated the effects very beautifully of somebody kind of pushing you off the normal, easy path of life. And then you having to try and trudge your way back through a lot of impediments. Yes. So I use my story as, as an example. The detail is the detail of my story, but the, the basic structure is the same for most, I would say, victims of child sexual abuse. So if, if you're molested as a kid and you don't have somebody to tell and you don't get it resolved and you don't do whatever you need to do to, to fix it up, which I didn't, of course, then you still have to go to school and go to work and, and try to find somebody to have a family with and go on vacations and do everything else that, that normal people do. But you have this thing weighing you down and this everything like obstacles. And, and that was, um, you know, my trajectory in life was the same. But the analogy I used in, in the book was that before I was, I was on a road, and I said not a great road, you know, it wasn't a super road, but it was a road. And then Richard knocked me off the road and, and I was sort of going through the brush and the swamp. And I still had the same, you know, basic goals and, and ideas I did as before Richard molested me, but, but I was messed up and that made almost everything I tried to do harder. Um, And that was, that was, that was that thing. And it's not, it's not even just the, the, the stuff in your own individual life. When, sadly, when, when you're molested, and I, I imagine a lot of molested children feel this way, you lose faith in your parents because they should have protected you. You know, that's the reasoning. Even if they have no idea what's going on and they didn't do any, anything to, to put you into harm's way, you still blame them for not, for not protecting you and making it stop. So you, so you lose faith in them. And, and they used to be all powerful. And now the abuser is the most powerful person in the world. You know, they're more powerful than your parents, your teacher, your the police. They're the most powerful person in the world. So, so you lose faith in all those other people that, that could be there to help you, that you could go up to and say, I need help. Some part of you loses, loses faith in them. And so that's another thing. Is it doesn't just make your life harder. It makes it harder to get help. Yeah. It almost, it almost seems like, um, almost like somebody kind of like, like, like you got hit by another car that like made the tire of your car kind of wonky. And then you're trying yes. to get on the highway and you just have to overcorrect all the time to yes. try not to just go into a ditch. Yes. That's <laughs> yep. That's exactly like, yeah. it's just like you that's have this one wobbly tire. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, I never thought about that, but yeah, that fits really well. I, it's just like you, you had to overcome so much and be so persistent to even be here today. It yes. seems from this. Um, <sighs> okay. I think one of the last, the last couple of things I want to talk about are. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a really beautiful way that you, um, that you were able to put words to the feeling of kind of turning abuse in on yourself, that you were able to, you're 
I don't know if it's like the amount of therapy or the amount of time that's gone by or the perspective you have, but you know, there's that feeling when you've been abused where it almost feels like, oh, well, I deserved that, or I didn't deserve to get protected or whatever the bad feelings that people take on when they're abused, you were able to kind of name those feelings and show how that process worked. Um, And then that leads us, you know, towards the end of the book, not only do you talk about a little bit like, you know, if you suspect somebody being sexually abused, what are some things to do? Or if you are being sexually abused, but also just the idea that it doesn't make you bad to have been hurt. Yes. How did you even come to that? Like, how long did it take you to even get to that place? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to say it again. (laughs) It just kind of came to me. Just came. So it, it, um, there are parts of the book that I didn't know until three or four panels. I didn't have a plot. I didn't know until three or four panels, what was going to happen. So it wasn't until the characters, which are sort of like this, almost like this movie I was watching and drawing as, as it was happening. They just said stuff. And, and, and one of them, I, uh, me, I guess, said, <laughs> said, um, said, said that it, it isn't, it isn't your fault. It, it isn't, it's just, it literally just how the story came to me. And a lot of the process of writing this book was writing the book and then going back and reading it and trying to figure out what it meant. Because I didn't know what it meant before I wrote it in a lot of the cases. So that, that's literally just what they said. And for some reason, the story tied together at the end. And that wasn't my own doing. It's, it, it's uh, literally how it, it came out of me. So I, I can't explain it. It's, it's um, for me, though, writing it, I, f- I felt a little bit like I just went into my head someplace and found a little door. And I opened up the door and then stuff came out. And I just let it come out in a in a way that was, um, I could write it down. So I would, I'd sit down and whatever came out, came out. And then I would go and, you know, whatever else I was doing in life, go do it. And then when I had the time again, I'd, I'd do the same thing. Just sit down and, and wait for the story to come out. That part at the end, you're trying to find justice and it's very frustrating. I think you also do just such a lovely job of showing that healing is not a straight line. Resolution is not a straight line. Justice is elusive can be elusive, even if you do everything right. Yeah. And I just, as a reader, I feel really happy that you, I feel happy that you showed that, that it's not just like, you know what? I realized this thing from my childhood wasn't okay. And I'm all good now. We're just dusted it <laughs> off that it's just, yeah, it's in there. It's a constant thing you have to kind of work against or work through or parse out. And then, um, I don't, I don't know if it feels this way for you, but as a reader, it feels like there is some justice for your character or for your younger self in this secret being told in the light of day. And it feels like, you know, as, as a person who may be one of those souls in the cave, it feels like you are like allowing a path to the sunlight for a lot of different people. So. I sure hope so. You know, um, in a lot of ways, the, the, the search for justice didn't go the way I, I wanted it to. And so I was left after 
with, with really no resolution. And um, I guess I was hoping that the only good that could possibly come out of it was if I could kind of help other people a little bit and um, kind of explain to, to people who, who haven't been abused as children, you know, some of the effects and, and also to, to sort of tell the story for people that had, because the stages are the same. So it's sort of a way to tell other people's story because if somebody comes up to you and says, I was molested as a child, they're only telling you of this little moment in time. They're not telling you of all the betrayal that happened to ha happen before it and all the vulnerability. They're not telling you um, all the people that failed you in your life. So you had to turn towards this, this stranger who was ultimately a predator. And it, and it does, it's not telling you all the things that happened, all the, the relationship problems, money problems, um, isolation, you know, all of the things that follow. It doesn't tell you about that, but, but I'm willing to bet that almost every person that was, that was molested as a child has a, a big story of before and after. And when they walk up to you and, and tell you they were molested, they're not telling you the whole story. And I, I don't think that there was any way that I could heal without telling the whole story. You know, how did this happen? What built up to it? And, and uh, what happened after? And how did I ultimately come to terms with it? If any part of that story was still left inside me, I would not be, um, I don't know if healed is the right word, maybe made whole again would be the right way to put it. So if you do have, I guess what I'd ask anybody who, who, who uh, has a friend who's been molested is maybe if they're comfortable, get them to tell you, you know, not, not just what happened and, and say, oh, that's horrible, but to understand the before and the after, because that's only what, what the, the, the molesting part is only a bit of it. The, the rest of it, that story trapped inside you is going to eat away at you and they need a way they need a way to get it out somebody has to listen to that story i believe somebody's got to listen to it or it just gnaws away at you forever so i don't know if that makes sense but that makes perfect sense <sighs> as i was taking <laughs> notes about your book i was like don't cry don't cry while you're interviewing Emily. <laughs> if you did, I'd feel really bad. Anyway, so just, Please like, don't cry. Just revisiting your book. Just be like, hello, nice to meet you. Oh. <laughs> but it's not like I feel bad. It's not like I'm like, oh, I feel bad for you. But it's just like, it, it was so touching and it's so important. And everything you're doing is so huge. And I just really value it so much. And all, all ages of me value it so much. Oh, well, th thank you. I, I, I really appreciate your, your compliment. You're welcome. Um, do you have any final advice for people that have a big story they want to tell in comics or anything before we wrap up? Um, if you have a, a big story, you, you might find that people aren't listening to you. And don't let that discourage you. You know, if you know you have a big story and you feel in your heart of hearts, just just do it. Take take any courses that you can that you can. Um, something that that um, might sound a bit odd, but take a poetry course because comics are little. The each panel is like a line of a poem, and um, and the imagery in in comics I think is a lot like the imagery in poetry. 
You know, you've got Im images plus short lines. I found poetry immensely helpful, the poetry courses I took. And um, get a big giant stack of cheap paper and a pencil and just start, just start, you know, don't agonize over the, the final detail, just let the story come out and then figure it out later, I guess would be, well, that's the way I did it. I, maybe everybody's got their own way, but, um, but I think uh, learning about comics, learning about writing and poetry and just letting your story out is the, the way to go. I think that's perfect advice. I second to this emotion, co-sign this <laughs> advice, exact same advice. Very good, very good. Emily Carrington, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for talking. And um, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to uh, talk about this important topic. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.